I really want patients to be able to advocate and push for, you know, what they deserve as patients. You deserve good care. You deserve answers. You deserve to like bring up questions and not be thought that you're stupid for asking these questions or thinking that you might have something. Hello, and welcome to the Women in ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. I'd like to share with you this review from Apple Podcasts in the UK from user Kin Stack, who writes, Oh my God. As a woman who is looking at getting an ADHD diagnosis, a single episode of your podcast alone has helped me feel so much more understood than I ever have in my entire life. Being able to see neurodiversity through the lens of being a woman and how it feels like failing is just wow. So yeah, thank you. You know, it's funny because on the one hand, this review totally blows me away. And yet I 100% relate to this because I am feeling like I'm unintentionally getting my PhD in ADHD by talking to these amazing guests. This is the power of conversation for us and why vitamin connection, as Hallowell and Rady call it in ADHD 2.0, is so important for us when it comes to understanding ourselves and what it means to have ADHD as an adult woman. I am so glad you're feeling like you've found your people. I know I have, and it's a great feeling after a lifetime of being an outsider and wondering what is wrong with me. So this is episode 29 in which I interview the incredible Anna Lopez. I was so blown away by this conversation with Anna that I remember afterwards I ended up bursting out of my recording room and running outside in circles because like my brain was so full and so stimulated that I didn't know what else to do but just run around. Anna is a psychiatric physician assistant with a master's in counseling. And according to Anna, she would marry psychology if she could. Anna noticed that as an adult, she always felt, quote unquote, unanchored. And at age 33, she finally got an ADHD diagnosis, which has been empowering for her. She lives in Austin, Texas with her two little handsome boys. And she says she would live off chai lattes if she could. And she is true crime obsessed. So I was super excited to hear Anna's opinions on a lot of issues, especially her thoughts on medical diagnoses of ADHD and why some of us resist medication. And I just loved her perspective on pretty much everything. She's fantastic. And so I will stop rambling and just get on with this episode. Enjoy. Thank you for uh, joining me today, Anna. And I was so excited to discover you when you were having a Instagram live chat with Elizabeth Brink and I was just riveted and um, I love your perspective and just wanted to, an excuse to pick your brain a little more and to get to know you more. So (laughs) yeah, I love it. Um, So I will open with the sort of my first opening question that I'll ask all of my guests, which is kind of what, how long ago were you diagnosed with ADHD and what kind of led up to your diagnosis? What were some of those signs that led to um, actually looking looking into this more? Yeah. So I was diagnosed last year. So I feel like a lot of people were diagnosed through the pandemic, which completely makes sense. Right. This is a very crazy time. Um, but yeah, I was diagnosed at 33. I'm still 33. Um, and you know, I can't even remember exactly when I was diagnosed. That's ADHD for you. And also living in a pandemic for a year. Like, well, I don't even know like what today is. So I think I was like diagnosed in May or June of 2020, like officially. Um, and really how it came about, which is crazy because I work in psychiatry, right? Like I had people who told me who they've had ADHD. I knew what the symptoms were. I knew what the DSM-5 said, but the symptoms didn't really tell me like what that looked like in a person. And so I didn't know how to like attach that to like a person. Like what, what do you experience as an adult or even as a kid with ADHD? Like I know they say kids are bounce off the wall or whatever, but like truly what does that look like in day-to-day life? I had no idea. And so, um, the reason I started looking into it actually was for my husband because my therapist was like, I think he might have ADHD. And like for a long time, I just kind of dismissed it or I looked into it a little bit for him, but I didn't really think much of it. And then I was like, I do this thing where I go on the Amazon app and I just like on a rabbit hole of like going, looking at books and like clicking on them. I don't buy them, but I just like kind of do window shopping 
internet window shopping <laughs> for books and like counseling books and psychology books because I loved books on like trauma and whatever. And so I was like reading different descriptions and one came up about like ADHD and relationships and like the difficulties people have with uh, relationships when there's a partner or both partners have ADHD. And I was like, this is a thing. And so like that kind of just opened up the doors for me where I was like, wait a second, I don't really understand what ADHD looks like. Really? Like if I truly think about it, I don't know what that is. And so I was trying to find examples of what does a person look like when they have ADHD. And so I was like looking at YouTube videos, I was reading articles and I was just like going all over. And while I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, this sounds like me. And it like kind of was not good because I was trying to like, <laughs> I was trying to like diagnose my husband, right? Like, haha, this is what's going on with you. But then I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I relate to a lot of these things. And then, but it started to make sense because me and my husband have a lot of this, like similar issues, you know, and I've spent years trying to like figure out how to help myself remember not to leave my lunch at home. Like I just packed it. How do I leave my lunch at home? You know, how do I remember my badge for work? How, you know, all these things. And he was dealing with a lot of the same issues. And so I was trying to help him figure out how to help 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 him remember these things because like I always had to like figure out how to help myself do these things right and I was like okay this makes sense like I relate because we probably have the same diagnosis and so yeah I I just yeah I went on this like hyper-focused trail for like weeks just trying to figure out like what's ADHD do I have this do I not have this and I was like I just need to go talk to someone who understands ADHD and so I found a provider and like made an appointment immediately and that's basically it that's how I found out and it is definitely I'm sure you probably relate um a lot of people probably relate but when you first are diagnosed you're like it's just like this wave of grief because you're just like wow this all of these things that I've struggled with in my life makes so much more sense now I thought it was just me I thought it was a, my problem. I needed to fix it. And I didn't realize like, no, this is just the way that my brain is wired. So that's kind of how I got there. And it's not even just these things like, oh, these memes are relatable because I also forget my keys. I mean, there is that sort of element. But then you, once you start to really realize like how far reaching it is and how mm -hmm. much of it goes into that like I, I remember um Rachel Morgan Trimmer I interviewed her recently and she was talking about you know that she calls it piece of shit syndrome you know where you're just like <laughs> that feeling of like where you it, it almost like you never were able to consciously think about how far reaching this was and how far reaching mm -hmm. that feeling of like inadequacy and brokenness um existed in your life because we were working so hard we didn't have the time or the words or the vocabulary to even really kind of label this and then I think that yeah. is so much of that grief is like realizing oh my goodness is it is it possible that all of this comes back to this one diagnosis like that is mind-blowing mm -hmm. yeah it is it really is and it's just like and, you know, it would be one thing if, like, you didn't have a diagnosis, but you just learn how to accept your quirks and you're like, oh, this is just how my brain, you know, this is just how I am. But, like, I always was like, I can do better. I Like, why do I keep forgetting? Like, why do I keep doing, you know, like, you just keep going, like, I should be able to do this. Other people do this. Why am I not able to do this? And it's just like, and then you realize, oh, like, this is actually a thing. Like, this is my brain. And it is true. Like, you work so hard. You're working so hard. You're so tired. And everyone says they're tired, but like, you're like crawling on the floor when you get home, you know, cause you're just exhausted from yeah. trying to fit in and mask. And you have, yeah, you have no idea because that your brain is wired differently than your other coworkers, the other students in your master's program and all this stuff. It just, it's just mind blowing to know that you like went this long without knowing or like being able to have accommodations or yeah being able to just be able to accept that things work differently for you. It's just crazy. Yeah. I remember going to my husband and I both had um, strep throat and he was complaining and complaining and complaining about how much it hurt. And I was like, yes, my, th my, 
my throat also hurts, but I think you're being a little like man coldish about it. And, <laughs> and we went to the doctor and we both had our throats swabbed and he was just like, would not let up about how terrible it was. And the, and, and the technician was like, yeah, hers is actually way worse. And it was just like this moment of objective, like validation that I was, that, you know, it's like when you hear somebody complaining about a headache and there's always that part of you that wants to switch bodies to be like, is it as bad as you say it is? Or, yeah, right? do, or do I just complain less? And it was like this moment of, of validation where I was like, no, you just complain less. But I think it's that same thing of like not being able to have a gauge when it comes to struggling like is this normal struggle am I struggling mm -hmm. harder am I working harder I don't know like we don't have those answers and we desperately need them when it comes to like defining ourselves I think probably yeah more sure and it's just so funny like I don't know if I would have gone to a psychiatrist you know eventually and have figured it out if it wasn't for this whole pathway through like my therapist and Amazon apps and stuff but it's so funny because like probably a year or two before my diagnosis, you know, I'm working in psychiatry. I'm seeing people who have like bipolar disorder. And I'm like thinking I have similar symptoms to mania, but I know I don't have bipolar disorder. But like I can like be very hyperactive and I can't stop moving. And, it, and you know, and I, I actually made an appointment or I was going to make an appointment to see a psychiatrist. And then when I got off the wait list and I could make an appointment, I was like, you know what? I think I'm okay. I don't need to make one. And it's like so funny because it's like, I could have had the diagnosis a year or two earlier, but at the same time, it's like, would I really have accepted it or understood it then? You know? Yeah. So it's almost like I got to it when I needed to, because I actually was curious to understand what does this mean? What does this look like? Yeah, that is also fascinating to me because it was suggested to me by my therapist for like two years um, mm -hmm. that I had ADHD. And I was sort of like, huh, interesting. I must look into that at some point. Like it didn't like land with me um, yeah. until the pandemic when I really just like imploded. And then and then she kind of pressed me to like, you, you should look into this in terms of like, you should look into treating this. But I still don't really know like when that switch went off for me from kind of being like, yeah, maybe I do, maybe I don't to, oh my goodness, this changes freaking everything. And, and there's a light at the end. And it's like this three-step process. There's sort of like, there's the oh my goodness, this is me, I'm relating to this. And then there's the self-diagnosis part where you're sort of like, yeah, this is definitely something I need to look into. Like, I definitely mm -hmm. have this. I need a doctor's confirmation. And then there's the yeah. doctor diagnosis, you know? So it's like these steps. Yeah. And, but I still don't really know what it, what was that like solitary moment where I switched over from like, huh, interesting mm -hmm. literature to like, oh my God, this defines me in every fiber I of my know, being. It's so, yeah, it's crazy. But I think like that is just an, the, I feel like that's a human experience with a lot of things, especially if like when I was doing my internship in counseling, because I also have my master's in counseling. And when I was doing my internship, you know, you can say things to somebody you can like, or even people can like your, your clients can say stuff to you too. Like they can say, they can have some insight to something, but they really, it doesn't really click with them. And it can take weeks, months, years before that really clicks. Like they're talking about these things, but they really don't get it at a deeper level for such a long time. And it's just, that's just how we evolve. I don't know. But I, I think like, Every step, though, every time your therapist said something or every time my therapist said something, it really does help kind of like solidify it a little bit more to be like, wait a second, I need to like think about what she's saying a little bit like more or, or what does this actually really truly mean? Like you need all of those tiny little steps to finally kind of let it click, I think. So when you were talking about the bipolar, I feel like I definitely related more to that idea before I was diagnosed. And I think I feel like I've heard that from other guests as well, because there is that kind of swing from hyperfocus to like depression and lethargy and, and self-deprecation or whatever you want to call that state, you know, but it was that um, it was that drastic swinging of the pendulum that made yeah. me think that I'm much more related to a possible bipolar uh, diagnosis than ADHD because of the whole, you know, the hyperactivity part. I was like, I'm not hyperactive. Mm -hmm. I spend, I will literally spend days in bed <laughs> staring at my phone, doom scrolling. I can't possibly have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. It was just weird. Cause it's like, yeah, I understood 
the bipolar disorder, you know, diagnosis a little bit more just because like I work in psychiatry. So I was like, I don't feel like, I don't think I have bipolar disorder because I don't have these like episodes of like hyperactivity for like three or four days or anything. And like my depression wasn't like, I've, you know, struggled with depression, but like even when it was treated, I had like a physical depression. Like I just don't have the motivation to do things. Mm -hmm. Like I don't feel like getting up. And it was just, I would call it physical depression, but I didn't realize it was that kind of like, I don't know that I wouldn't, what do you call it in ADHD? Just like that, that negative movement. Like you just, you're okay. We're just sitting around or even you want to get up, but you just can't. So you're just like, yeah, it's like a it's like a bodily yeah. shutdown, you know. Mm-hmm. I've like heard it described yeah. as as like walking through mud. I've described it as like walking around in a foot of water. Like there, but there's just something where it's like you slow down, and it's like everything just shuts down. Like you, it feels like you're under. Yeah. It feels like you're underwater. Yeah, I had a um, a doctor once call it when I was depressed. She called it like it feels like you're moving through jello. Mm-hmm. I'm like. Yeah, yeah, basically. Feels like that. It's like I'm trying to get everything done, but I'm moving through jello. Like yeah. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> so um so looking back, as I was also I'm I'm very I'm fairly newly diagnosed. I was diagnosed in the fall, but again it was sort of like I don't remember the whole last year was a blur. Like I don't remember when it was mm-hmm. that my therapist suggestions turned into me really sort of hyper-focusing on it and and becoming more interested in it. But I didn't actually get the official doctor diagnosis until um, end of October. And, And it's funny because I, you know, I'm so... So many women who I've reached out to to interview and say, I'm not officially diagnosed, I'm self-diagnosed. Is that okay? You know, especially women in the mm-hmm. UK and in Europe where it could take years to get a doctor's appointment. Yeah. And, and there's this sense of like, you know, it, how important is it to have a doctor's diagnosis? Because I feel like my journey began long before I got the doctor's diagnosis. And I feel like so much mm-hmm. of ADHD and so much of treating ADHD is really just knowing you have it and then doing mm-hmm. the work that, or, or knowing what work to do, you know, like it's, yeah. and, and yes, there is the medication side of it. And there is the, you know, you need the doctor to get the medication, but mm-hmm. going to the doctor is like, so, it's such a hurdle on so many levels. Medication is such a hurdle on so many levels. It's so cost prohibitive for so many mm-hmm. people. Um, and like, I'm curious with, from your background in the psychiatric field, like how, what is the importance of having a doctor's diagnosis? Cause I certainly felt like I needed it. I needed the doctor to tell me because otherwise I would have second guessed myself my whole life because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't trust ourselves, Yeah, but it, for sure. but I also felt like so much of the work has starts well before you get to the doctor's office. And so many of us know more about ADHD than our medical providers by the time we get to that diagnosis and prescription. So I'm, I sort of mm-hmm. like, where does that fit in the kind of, hierarchy of needs yeah I feel like it I feel like it depends on the person (laughs) that's such a like mental health answer it depends (laughs) Um, but it's really does. like it depends on the person like some people really like to have a name a label like to like really understand what's going on so that they can like dive deep in figure it out figure out what treatments will help what interventions will help you know, how to go about doing anything extra like therapy or even like what foods will be better for me or, you know what I mean? Like some people really need that and some people don't truly need it. And they're just like, I think I have it. Like, I'm pretty sure just from what I can remember from my childhood and what I'm dealing with now. And they're just trying to find supports online or in person to help them. And so I think it depends on the person. I think like, again, also depends on the, like, the environment. So if you're living in a place where that's not very accessible, but you, it would help you to just, like, navigate the world a little bit better, to have a little bit, you know, to have more accommodations in, you know, at school or at work, it would make sense to have a diagnosis. Um, but that's, like, changing a whole, like, society, though. Like, because yeah. I know that, I think in in France, like it's not really 
um, they just think it's like a, a dis- like a disorder for young boys, you know? So it's really hard to like get a diagnosis as an adult, especially as a female adult. And that sucks. And a lot of people want that or need that because it would be helpful to them so that they can actually like be more successful in what they're doing because people just don't understand what they're, what they're dealing with. And so, yeah, I just feel like it depends on the person, depends on your environment. Um, if you actually need an official diagnosis, um, I had some other thoughts but I'm trying to think what they were. <laughs> That's a good point about getting, you know, feeling like you're better able to advocate, especially for yourself or for your kids. I mean, obviously like having mm-hmm. a diagnosis so that you can get a 504 for your child is important and that sort of thing, like sort of legitimizing something. I just feel like yeah. there's so many ways in which the medical community talks about like the dangers of misdiagnosing or like maybe it's not ADHD, maybe it's one of these other factors. And then they list factors that are symptoms of ADHD, you know, like maybe it's not ADHD, yeah. maybe it's just anxiety. And I'm like, if you're not able to see that correlation, then I need a second it's opinion. So, because, like it's so nuanced, right? Yeah. Like because a lot of I mean again like with the whole mania thing or depression thing, like a lot they're all similar symptoms. We call them the same things, but they look different depending on what you like, you know, what you struggle with. So, you know, anxiety, yes, you can have anxiety with ADHD, but anxiety and ADHD are going to look different. So it's like also having a competent provider who can actually figure out which one is it or is it both you know because a lot of people with ADHD have anxiety like they can either the anxiety is because of the ADHD or they can be two separate things and so you really have to know someone have a provider who's good at like the nuances of okay which what is it and also it's very common to have like um comorbid bipolar disorder and ADHD and so you have to know have a provider who knows how to tell the difference in those things, you know? And so it is, it is, it's difficult because it is disorders or it is like things that are happening in the brain. Sometimes we have behaviors, but it, it's not as simple as like being able to like diagnose high blood pressure, you know, where you can just, you know, take someone's blood pressure three times and be like, you have high blood pressure. We need to like put you on some medication. And so that is the, that's the frustrating thing in a way about ADHD and a lot of like other psychiatric disorders, because you really do need someone who's competent. And also it just can be very nuanced and difficult. And sometimes it takes me, it takes me a while to be able to see if my patient, like if I have a patient actually has ADHD, like I actually have a patient, I'm like ADHD or you know, dissociative disorder or maybe both, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, but really when it comes down to it, it's, can we find medications that are helpful for you? Can we find interventions like therapy that are helpful for you? So even if the diagnosis isn't perfect, are we helping you? Are you getting better? Are you improving? And so I think that's like, something that we kind of have to remember sometimes that it is nuanced. Sometimes you have to change your diagnosis. It happens in psychiatry all the time. Someone you think has bipolar disorder with psychosis actually has schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type. It's just like, it happens all the time. And I think we need to be okay with switching. I think some doctors are so rigid and they're like, no, this is what you're diagnosed with, that they don't want to switch. And we also need to just like almost sometimes get away from like the label and recognize the symptoms and think holistically what would be helpful for this person? What kind of medications would be helpful? What in it's not just medication wise, like what also will be helpful, like therapy, you know, nutrition, exercise, whatever. Um, so I don't know if I answered the question. I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> That's what this podcast is for. <laughs> it's like unadulterated <laughs> rambling. Uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing I like about the neurodivergent community and how 
interested they are in themselves and their brains and and the way that we're always questioning that stuff you know like I, I love thinking about neurodivergence mm -hmm. as just this like conveyor belt or that you know this is like spectrum and everything is interrelated on some level and things just kind of pop mm -hmm. up and pop and then go back and then they pop up and then you have like a baby and different things come out you know <laughs> Like, um, you know, mo it's, uh, there's so much of it, like you said, is nuanced. And and so I'm getting kind of confused by this backlash against misdiagnosis, you know, because I sort of feel like this is not a medical condition, like you said, like this is not a blood pressure issue. This is not a medical condition that could be like you, you clearly need a medical professional who can lead you through the proper medication and et cetera. Like this neurodivergence that can be treated in so many ways. And sometimes I feel like the, if there's a backlash against the, the, if, if you start to bring in this fear that you can somehow misdiagnose yourself when so many of us feel like this is the first time in our lives, we feel hope, you know, that we aren't this broken person. If yeah. there's this backlash against self-diagnosis, like, I just don't understand why that backlash is there because it feels to me like yeah. self-awareness is part of the treatment, you know? And so, yeah. like, why right. is there this feeling of like, oh, too many people are saying they have ADHD these days? And I'm like, that is great. If we could change society and realize that it's not 5% of people, but maybe way more, you know, like, I that is a good thing. I think it's way more, too. I truly think it's way more than, like, the 4 or 5%. But then again, remember, like, a lot of people are not diagnosed through their whole lives. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Or later, later in life. So it's way more than the 4 or 5%, I'm pretty sure. But um and, and if you treat yourself like you have ADHD by bringing more structure in your life or exercising, like these are all good things that will benefit anybody. The things that benefit people with ADHD benefit everybody. So uh, that's the other thing. I feel yeah. like there's not a lot of harm in accidentally thinking you have ADHD. So why is there this backlash? Yeah. And, you know, I go about it with um, patients saying like, Look, it's just as important to rule it out as it is to rule it in. So if you end up not actually having it, this thing that we're, you know, screening for, that's fine. We're really just trying to have a better idea of what's going on. So if you accidentally, yeah, like if you accidentally diagnose yourself with ADHD and you figure out things that are help you to be more successful in life and you're not able to access a doctor or medications, like, I don't really understand the harm. I think there's just like this like elitist attitude in medical community. And I think it's more, I love doctors, okay? I'm not a doctor, I'm a PA. But I think it's more with the doctor community than like the PAs or the NPs. Um, it's, just this, it's, just, it's just a cultural aspect of doctors, especially in the US. I don't really, I can't speak for doctors other, in other places. But it's just like, we, we are the experts. We know. We're the ones who are supposed to be diagnosed. You can't diagnose yourself. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how that comes about. I'd like to look into the history of that more now. I'm, cu I'm curious. Right. Well, I think, I think um, there is a, that cautionary feeling of like it's a slippery slope when people start going to Dr. Google or whatever they call it, you know, like the, the web, the rise of web. Yeah, like, sure. I get when it comes to medical conditions that this is a dangerous slippery slope. I just don't feel like ADHD falls into that category. And maybe the medical community is like, it's too dangerous to try to allow some things and not others. So we're just going to, we're just going to say no to everything. But right. that is such a neurotypical response. Like you think about schools, right? Mm -hmm. That is how schools discipline children, which is like one kid is acting out. So nobody gets recess. And you're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's my little soapbox. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I think like that is something that I've thought about. Like, you know, I've, I've worked in different areas of medicine and like family medicine and pediatrics, especially parents will come to be like, my kid has this. And you're like, and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to hear you. I'm like, understand. And we'll, I'll look into it. I'll ask the questions. And then, you know, if I do everything, we do all the tests, we do all the exams and the questions and everything, and I think they don't have it, and I tell them that, they're not happy with that answer. And so I think that there's some, like, there's a bad taste in the medical community's mouth sometimes because people who don't, are not, don't have great health literacy come to us and say, hey, I have this, I have this. 
And you're like, no, you don't even have close to any of the symptoms of it, you know? And so I think that there's, I think that there's some validity and in the medical community, not liking people self-diagnosing, but also there is a sense that we do have more information about things out there to, and we are in our own brains. So it's like, we, you think we would know a little bit about what's going on Mm. um, with us. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a catch 22 and I, and I'm, I'm a part of both, right? Like I see mental health providers and I also am a mental health provider. And so, so I can see both sides of it, know. you know, but I think like the, the approach, I feel like doctors should take more just medical professionals in general, like listen, hear, validate, like, you know, why do you think that, you know, and then do what you can to like help them either confirm or deny what's going on with them. You know, I have patients who tell me like, I think I have autism and part of me wants to be like, no, no, you don't. But then I'm like, wait a second, I don't know enough to say that they don't. So like, I have to stop myself and be like, let's look into it. Let's ask more questions or let's get you referred to someone who can like actually look into that more. Mm. And so you can actually have a yes or no answer if that really matters to you. And so it, it does take you to like step back and just be like, wait a second, let me not just like, let me not just invalidate a whole person just because I am the expert, you know? Like I went to grad school and spent $70,000 on something. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. Right. So. Yeah. Interesting. I know it's not, I, I wanted your perspective so much because I knew that you were going to have the, that like dual perspective, but I, it's also, mm. I don't think it's a question that can be answered in an hour, in an hour on some random person's yeah, podcast. It's, it's complicated, but I think that there's validity in both sides for sure. I think it just takes humility on both sides and it just takes advocate. Also, I I'm really being into like patient advocation, advo- advocating. So like, I really want patients to be able to advocate and push for, you know, what they deserve as patients, yeah. you know? you deserve good care. You deserve answers. You deserve to like bring up questions and not be thought that you're stupid for asking these questions or thinking that you might have something. So, right. Exactly. And I think self-advocacy is already difficult enough for somebody Mm -hmm. who is, who has had ADHD or is is seeking out a diagnosis. So that's why I think this subject gets me so frustrated because I feel like, like, are, why are you not acknowledging the overwhelming mental and fiscal hurdles that people face getting to a, di- a state of diagnosis? Like, why can't we kind of mm-hmm. include that in this journey? Yeah, for sure. Raise your hand if you're really good with your diet for a few days or weeks, but you always end up sabotaging your own efforts. Or you fear having certain foods in the house because you feel like you lack the self-control to avoid them when they're there. Or you feel like everyone but you has this whole eating and exercise thing figured out and you just want to scream, what is wrong with me? Well, guess what? You are not alone. In my book, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, I share with you my own history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating from my very first diet at the age of 14 to the nearly 30 years I spent on a merry-go-round of weight loss and weight regain. I also share with you the six essential steps that helped me to finally break free from diet culture and rediscover my health and my self-worth. If you are ready to break free from dieting and binge eating cycle for good and heal your relationship with food and your body, Head to worthitwithkatie.com to get your copy of my Worth It book today. Backtracking a little bit, what are some of the things looking back over your life or in your childhood, especially that you, that you look back and you think, oh, of course, that was, that was clearly the ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. So when I like went through the whole grief period of realizing I probably had ADHD, like, I just remember like a lot of my core memories as a kid, cause I don't remember a lot of things. And I think that's an ADHD things like are like these negative memories. And I think they had some ADHD element in it. Like there's just one time in the fifth grade. I remember exactly that it was the fifth grade too. We're like, we're split up into these groups trying to do this history project or answer these questions on this history thing. And I got overwhelmed. Like everyone's talking in the room. Everyone's trying to figure this thing out in my group. 
And like, you know, I was a bright kid. Like I got things I did really well in school, but like that whole element of working in a group and trying to figure something out, something out right now, just like shut me down. And I just put my head down on the desk the whole time. Everyone else was figuring out this project or these questions. And I didn't participate. I couldn't like it. It was too much for me. Like it was too overwhelming. And now I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like I've never been able to do group work, like group studying, like people can get concepts a lot faster than me. And so I'm like very behind and I'm like, I I'm, I'm not following. I'm not, I'm not catching on. And so like, I would do worse on a, on a test if I group studied because I wasn't keeping up with what everybody else was doing. So I was very much an individual studier all the time. Um, and then um, what were some other things? Oh, just like in college, I'd rather like, if someone was like, Hey, let's go run around outside at midnight. It's like, okay, now go do that. And then instead of like studying or whatever, I just have a hard time making myself study like, I need to study. I need to get up. I need to do this. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And it would get to the point where it's like, I'm almost about to fail these, this science class and I'm a science major. So I like have to banish myself to the library for hours a day just to make myself study, just to get myself to study. And so I didn't realize that was ADHD. Like, no, like had no idea. I just thought that I was a terrible student. You know, like my parents were like, you need to do better. Why aren't you doing better? And I had no idea that like me foregoing studying for fun or like having such a hard time making myself study was a thing. And also I just like, I I think I daydreamed a lot. I really don't know. (laughs) Probably. I think I like would read ahead in the books. So I wasn't really paying attention to the teachers ever. I got the concepts fast. And so you know, I would just read ahead and just fill out my worksheets and not pay attention. And so I just had a hard time paying attention in class, especially in college and trying to keep up again with concepts. And so in science class, I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm just pretending like I'm writing notes, understanding, and I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on. And so, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of that, not understand, like feeling behind. And I've always been very more behind in math stuff too. Like I do okay in math, but it just takes me a lot longer. And I didn't realize that was a thing. Like I had a teacher actually, I think in the fifth grade too, like she had to keep me behind at recess to teach me something. And like I like I said, I usually did really well in most everything. And for her to have to keep me behind to make sure I understood some math concept meant that I was not getting it or I zoned out when she was teaching it or something for her to like keep me behind at recess to make sure I understood it. So that was a deal. <laughs> so now when you were diagnosed, did you, did you try medication? Are you on medication? What's your experience been? Yes. So I am on medication. Like I, the first one I tried um, worked really well at first, but then it just like stopped working. And I was like, I'm having a hard time making myself move again. Like it's super hard to like get going. And so I switched and I'm still trying to figure out the nuances of it. Like Make sure I eat, obviously, try to avoid any vitamin C. And it, so it's like, I don't, I don't know. I think this is like the common thing for people with ADHD too. It's like, what is working and what isn't? Like how much is okay and how much, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's very confusing to figure out. I think that's an extension <laughs> of that idea of like so many of feeling like there's so many factors at all times, you know, like even with motherhood, mm-hmm. like I remember always feeling like when I had babies and I had and, and struggled with depression and anxiety and always feeling like I would try something and then be like, is this working? Is this not working? I don't know. There's so many factors. How am I supposed to be able to tell everything might be placebo? And then, then you're like, then it's like, or it's estrogen or like, you're just like, I don't. And then I'm just like, I'll just lie in the fetal position until it passes. Yeah. It's, there's a swarm. You're always trying to figure out like, is it enough? Is it not working? How much do I need to, do I need to ask for more? Like, so I'm still kind of figuring out is it working well enough? And also just trying to figure out like what interventions work for me in daily life to make sure, like, like you said, like focus on this one task and stop thinking about the swarm that's over here all the time. And I think that's like, that's one good thing about diagnosis and following up with your provider. Um, 
is that they can help you part like piece together whether or not the medication is helping or helping enough. Mm. And I think that's like something I talked to a patient about recently too, though, because he he or she was talking about some medication. Like, I can't tell if it's working. I'm like, well, that's why I'm here. I'm going to ask you questions. And I can like compare to what you said to me last time to see if it actually is making a difference. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, it's funny because when I was on um, I was on Celexa. So I was on an SSRI and Wellbutrin for a decade after my, uh, for postpartum depression and anxiety. And so, you know, mm-hmm. there was this constant conversation with my medical provider, which was like, I don't feel like it's working. You know, at first it was the SSRI. I don't feel like it's working. Let's up the dose. Let's up the dose. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, I don't feel like it's working. Let's bring in this cocktail of another one, you know? And then I was sort of like, then it just became so complicated that I just wanted to get off everything to sort of rediscover what, what is my baseline, you know? And so, yeah. and so uh, there was always that feeling of like, if I feel, I feel miserable and I'm on antidepressants. So if I go off the antidepressants, imagine how much worse it'll be. You know, <laughs> there was always this feeling like maybe they are helping. I'm just such a basket case that if I went off of them, I would be that much mm-hmm. worse. And so I would stay on them and I would up the dough. Like it's so, just like you said, it's like so that, that, yeah, that feeling of like, is it too much? Is it not enough? What's going on? Is it placebo? Like, and so I went on medication and went off of it after two weeks because of that. I felt like that quest constant questioning of is it working is it not working was like interfering with my mental health and I was like I feel like mm-hmm. I might actually and I am not anti-medication by any means but I just like for me I feel like it's easier for me to just be on nothing and like start from that baseline <laughs> yeah the questioning mm-hmm. becomes it's it becomes too much for me it does it does it does it can become too much for for some and then you know there is like that idea too, like as a provider, like you can increase doses and still they're saying it's not working. And you're like, is it really not? Or they just can't really tell. Or you, it's just, I mean, for me, cause I have ADHD, like I get confused too. And I'm like, what should I do? Should I? And I think that's part of like my anxiety with, with work. It's like, am I going to be able to help them? Am I going to be able to make a good decision about what to do with their medicines? Because it's like, maybe they need an increase. Maybe they need a different medication. Maybe they need to just stop it and see what happens with that. It's just like, the constant anxiety spiral trying to yeah. trying to help people and I want to help people well. But also there's this part of me that will hear people say like, hey, I've been on these medications and I still don't feel better. And so it's like, hmm, something else is going on. And I've actually like come across what the like what the answer might actually be for these when they say that. Like sometimes it takes me a while to figure out the answer, but I'm like, hmm, then that means something else is going on. And I think that's something that you learn if you actually train in ADHD as a psychiatrist or even family is that if you have patients who are on like the antidepressants or anti-anxieties, but they're still have like, there's still stuff going on, even though like they're doing all these other interventions or they're going to therapy, like something else is happening and you should probably rule out ADHD. And so like that happens recently where a patient was talking about you know, this is not working. And then I was like, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? He's like, yeah, as a kid. And I was like, oh, well, you're not, it's like, you don't outgrow those it. Those are not going to be enough for you because there's a whole nother element that's playing into what you're, what's going on with you. And he's like, oh, that makes so much sense. And so it, I don't know, it's, it's a very confusing nuanced thing. And then when you have ADHD and like a field like psychiatry, it is, it can be like, a little nerve wracking because you're always trying to like figure out if you're doing the right or the best thing right. for patients. At least for me, I don't know about other people. It must be. It must feel very meta a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the other thing yeah. I ask a lot too when I when I hear women talk about how the medication has been life changing or it's even just like yeah, it's really working. And I'm like, what does that mean? How, working how? Because I don't even know what I'm looking for. You know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it though. Like if you take medication and some of that like anxiety or overanalyzing kind of like dies down, or you can be like, some big deal. I'm going to figure it out. I'll know when I know if it's working, then it's probably working yeah. because that's me. Like I can be very over, like overanalyze everything. And then the fact that I'm not overanalyzing as much, 
I'm not anxious about the end of the day, even though like I hate the end of the day because I'm like picking up my kids, making dinner, doing, you know, all this stuff. The fact that I'm not as anxious about that, the fact that I'm not overanalyzing things as much, or even if I am like not sure what to do next, like I'm not worried about that. I'm going to figure it out. I'm like, okay, that means it's probably working. Yes. At least some, right? So that's a great point. And I do often feel like that's what the SSRI did for me when I had babies, which was like, rather than falling in a puddle of tears, anytime anything happened, like a, you know, a a dish broke or something, I, it gave me the ability to just be like, dish broke, moving on, let's cope, you know, like it. So I used to always say like, it gave me the ability to cope. And so I've often, when I went on, on tried Vyvanse and really didn't notice much of a difference. I was like, I thought like, maybe what I'm looking for is that feeling I used to have on an SSRI. And have I lost that feeling? I don't even know if I would get it, but like, again, I'm just like, so that's a great point that it's actually like, maybe all of this like manic questioning is what you need to treat with the medication. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's just so, it's just trying to figure out if medication does work and what will work best for you can be very exhausting. And we don't have patience for that. Right. Either. So like, can be very impatient trying to like figure out something works or doesn't work yeah. and like switching medications. And that's just a hard to navigate and organize when you have ADHD too, when there's a lot going on. So I completely get that. And sometimes just like not even dealing with medication or just not being in that season to say, it's just not for me right now. It's just too much to too much. To, there's already enough in my head and I can't think about that. So I completely get, get the reason that people, don't want to try or don't like are not in that season to try. Yeah. And, you know, and then the, and then usually the medical provider is sort of like, well, treat it like it's a, like it's a vitamin or, you know, if somebody was on needed blood pressure medication, they wouldn't not go on blood pressure medication. And and so I'm often like, well, why is it so different with psychiatric medicine? And I think that's it. I think it's that idea of just like the, is it, or is it working or isn't it working other medication? There's like really, quantitative ways of knowing if it's working and that's just doesn't exist when it comes to your mental state. And they work quickly. Yeah. And they work quickly. And then with like a lot of psych meds, they take time, can take two to four weeks. Well, stimulants, they take, they're supposed to work instantly. Right. But like other psych meds can take a few weeks to work. There's a lot of side effects associated with psych meds. Um, You, you don't really know what you're supposed to feel or not feel. You don't know if you're okay with certain side effects or you want to stop it if they bother you enough. Like, it's just a lot. And then like, you know, everybody's different and metabolizes medications differently. So you might have to try a bunch of different things and all you want to do is feel better. And so, (laughs) and so like having to have the patience to, to do that is really hard. And that's a conversation I have to have a lot with patients is like, I understand it's not fun. It's not easy having to just figure out what works and to be patient, you know, for it to actually kick in. But unfortunately, this is the only way it works. This is the only way. It's, yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it for them. And I hate it for me too, but I don't, I wish there was a better answer. Right? I really do. <laughs> just keep, just keep your head down and tunnel through. <laughs> it's so hard. It's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> Um, okay. So now what would you rename ADHD? If you could, if you could come up with a different name for it, that was a little less problematic for so many of us, what would you rather call it? I think I I wrote something down. What did I say? Oh, so there was this, um, I don't know if you follow live from snack time on Instagram. It's like, it's, a it's an Instagram site where, or page where like they post funny things that kids say. And some kids said something about dream thinkers or dream thinking or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally ADHD brain, like dream thinkers. Yeah. That's what should be. That's what should be called. But, um, you know, I don't know, like tornado brain. I don't know. That's how, you know, like when you're talking about, about the buzzing bees, like I always think about like Twister, the movie where... Is it the Helen Helen Hunt character or whatever? She's Bonnie Hunt. They're not the same person, but they look exactly the same and they're not related. But anyway, they she's like always want to know what the middle of a, a tornado looks like. And she gets the chance. She like straps herself to some like metal bar and like gets to like see what a tornado looks like inside. 
And I feel like that's what my, our brains are like. It's like, what? It's just like tornado brain. Like there's like, and no one really knows what we're going through unless you have this, <laughs> this thing. But I don't know. I asked my husband and he's like, I think that they should just take away disorder because what is order? What is it order supposed to look like? Like there's no specific kind of order to the brain, you know? And I, and I can see that. Like, I think in a way where we're kind of progressing into like just thinking of it as a neurotype and not as like a different, like abnormal. It's just a neurotype. Right. It's just a type of brain. And I, I, I think I just like that better. Just think of me as a neurotype. Yeah. But I don't know. No. I have this conversation with my therapist a lot because I, you know, when I was first diagnosed, of course, I was like, this is a superpower. Oh, my God. Everything good about my life is thanks to this one neurodivergence. And she was like, yeah, okay, oh. slow down. And she was like, you still have to honor the fact that you really, really struggled, you know, and that was a, like, that's what mm-hmm. I, about that time of, you know, that's what we were talking about of like stopping and having that grief and realizing how hard you do have to work and how hard you did have to work. And you were too busy working yeah. to realize that this, that you are a square peg in a round hole and that society is not mm-hmm. built for you and that that sucks. Mm-hmm. And so she was sort of like, it yeah. is a really important part of your identity to, to acknowledge that and to not like get swept away in the fact that, this is a wonderful thing because it is really hard. And I feel like it can be dangerous Mm -hmm. if you don't acknowledge that. And I was like, yes, I get that. But at the same time, there is a part of me that, yeah, like it feels like in an ideal society, we would be no different than someone who's left-handed, you know, like there's just ways in which, yeah, it sucks because you can't always use scissors. And like, there's ways in which society is not made for you. (laughs) Um, um, But it shouldn't, you know, if we can just work on society and not work on the individuals who have the disorder, like I totally get what he's saying in terms of like, yeah, there is the way in which we are kind of contributing to the stigmatization of, of treating this, like it's a medical condition and all of those things where it's like, no, it's, it's a, it's a subsect of society that are square pegs and we only have round Mm -hmm. holes. And so it's the holes that need to be fixed, not the pegs. Yeah, exactly. It's like, get rid of, you know, like think outside of the box. And it's like, why do you even have the box? Like, right. why do we, <laughs> yeah. don't need it. you know? And I think like, when do we, when are we, or will we get to the point where it, we don't even think twice about it and just people who are other abled, you know, are, it's just like, oh, okay. Well, like you already, like you already can like shift and be flexible for that person versus like we having to like fit into an, you know, another space. Like we all kind of can sit and be in the same space and be flexible for each other. We all like, we're not, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not so much like this other thing. Like we're just a part of the rest of society and it's easier for us to be understood and have what we need to accomplish what we want to accomplish and also just like not also not just looking at behavior. I feel like if you're just looking at behavior, people look lazy or they look like they're not, you know, they don't want to, you know, pay attention. And that's not the truth. And so I think that sometimes I feel like we could just throw the word behavior out and stop like talking about behavior by itself without recognizing like what's happening and for people to do like behavior is a signal of something deeper, you know? So I think it's just, it's kind of annoying sometimes when ADHD is like called it like, uh, like a behavioral, neurobehavioral thing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's not behavior. It's, it's what's happening in our brain that makes it look like behavior, if that makes sense. Right. It makes it look like we're not paying attention. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I think a lot of the, that, that tornado feeling and the buzzing and all of these kind of side effects of ADHD are the result of being put into systems that aren't helpful for you, you know? So it's even even like the way in which you describe the symptoms of ADHD, those symptoms only exist because of our current environment. They might not. I mean, none of those, none of the negative side effects, none of that piece of shit syndrome feeling of all of those symptoms would exist if we lived in a, in a different imagined society. Like it's like Mm -hmm. inclusivity, you know, like if you put, you know, 
I can understand why it didn't occur to you to put a wheelchair ramp next to the stairs because maybe it just didn't occur to you, you know, but once it does occur to you, if you still don't put that there, <laughs> then that's on you. Then you're the asshole, mm -hmm. you know, because then it's like, yeah. um, you know, it's your job to be inclusive. And that's sort of like, that's our human mm -hmm. existence. It's our job. Right. And so what is yeah. it about you that makes you say, I, I it's now occurred to me and I still don't want to change and I still don't want to do that thing. Yeah, sure. And I think that's what's happening for people who have these invisible disabilities, you know, um, it's like we're, you know, our, our bosses and, you know, our schools are supposed to be understanding what ADHD or just like neurodiversity is and making accommodations for that, but they're not doing it. And so that's, that's hard because it's like, like you said, like now, you know, you need the ramp and you're not putting the ramp there for, for, for your students or your coworkers to be successful. And that sucks. Oh my goodness. Ah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was rambles for like over an hour. I have no idea what I talked about. I know. But. That's why I love this podcast so much. It is literally <laughs> just like, it's just, it's just tangent and tangent after tangent. And I have so much fun. I love these conversations so much. And I love talking to people about talking to other women about ADHD. And I'm just like, I love it yeah, so yeah. much. And so the fact that it's like that I put it out there and other people are listening to these and reacting strongly to them. I'm like, this is just, it blows my mind. Because yeah. I love it too. I love talking about it. Like it's changed my life. And I think it's just like, so interesting and like so liberating too but also so frustrating like there's so many aspects to ADHD and talking about it but I could talk about it forever same for sure oh well I'm so glad you agreed to talk with me today um, yes thank you for asking there you have it thank you for listening and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast also as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is women and ADHD podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, so let's talk about ordered organizing. And okay. so was this the first time you became an entrepreneur when you started this? Um, no, not really, because I was okay. an architectural lighting designer before I worked for someone else, um, small company, and all of them are small companies. And then when I had my daughter, I wanted to continue doing the work. And so I had a few clients that I um, did consulting for on my own. So I continued with that as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur. Um, okay. But it was basically a continuation of something I already knew very well how to do. Um, this is a whole new adventure, a whole new experience. And I'm really um, feeling like I'm at the beginning and stages of, of understanding um, what the solution needs to be for the people that I want to serve. And so I feel like I'm in a conversation phase right now with community. I've done a lot of learning about the science and how my brain works and, you know, that kind of exploration, but I really want to get in with the communities and engage with them 
and really try to understand what it what, what it is that we want. Because I hear a lot of people saying, I just wish that I had more time. I wish that I was more organized. I wish I could be more productive. And I want to dig. I want to dig a little bit deeper and have conversations and really feel feel through that and see what that really means. Because I think that my my genius, if you will, is in the uh, metacognition, the ability to pull all of these different pieces together and kind of make them fit. That's what I really enjoy doing. And so I think that, um, I think the solution is evolving. And so right now I'm, I'm having conversations and I do have a group right now that I'm working with that was my beta group. And we're kind of continuing to have conversations and finesse what the program eventually will become. But um, right now I am, I've started a Facebook group that is called Organizing and Productivity for Moms with ADHD. So you can find me there. And I've just hopped onto Clubhouse. Whole new world. <laughs> uh, can't decide, you know, it's, it's like... I know overwhelming is it the- and exciting all at the same time. Um, but I think that's going to be a really wonderful place to um, ask questions and really allow people to have these conversations in you know, ways that we haven't before. So I'm really excited about that platform. So I'm there as Lisa Piana at Lisa Piana. Um, and then on Instagram as well at ordered underscore organizing is my Instagram. So those three places are kind of the places that I'm hanging out the most. That's awesome. What do you find that women, mothers with ADHD um, struggle with the most when it comes to household organization? Um, Their brains. Yeah. Decluttering their brains. I'm hearing that more and more as I dig a little bit. It's not necessarily that they need to declutter their house. They really want to be able to get what's in their brain out and prioritize it in a way that makes sense and set some goals and milestones for those goals and actually reach them and have a way of seeing that because I think a lot of times we don't get ourselves give ourselves enough credit for the things that we do finish right there's a lot of shame around unfinished projects um and you know one of the things that I do is I have a to done list at the end of the day instead of my to do list because oh. And nine times out of 10, I don't get done with my to-do list because whatever I set out to do has been, and it's not that I just, that I've got distracted or interrupted, but life happens. And it actually was more important for me to go help my son with his homework assignment than it was for me to make that call to the vet at that, you know? Yeah. And so instead of looking at the list and go, oh, again, I didn't get the vet call. I didn't do this, that, and the other thing to say, oh, I helped my son with his homework assignment. Like these are things that I value and that are important. I'm not always just getting off track or just being distracted. So I think that goal setting really becomes about, about clarifying the direction, then actually setting those milestones and then using some ADHD friendly ways to actually get there. And I think one of the biggest ways we do that is in community. It's being accountable to ourselves and to each other. And I found the most success with my, with the group that I'm working with is getting online face-to-face on Zoom and having these conversations because um, we do well when we're checking in with each other and nobody's judging whether you did the thing or didn't do the thing, but being able to say, I'm going to do this and then follow through with that has been really helpful. I love the idea of a to-done list. I think that's so great. You know, there's something, um, I think, I think a lot of us have a tendency once we do complete something, we don't have the patience to sit and like be happy with it because we've moved on to the next thing. And the challenge, the excitement is in approaching and figuring out the task. Task completion is not exciting for us. And so I think it's in general, like there's usually almost a sense of disappointment when something is completed, you know, especially like, you know, when there's a huge project that I've been working on and I finally finish it, there's, you know, I don't think we talk enough about that sense of like 
disappointment of almost sort of like, uh, yeah, all right. Like I'm done with that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. You know, like Mm -hmm. I remember that with, Mm -hmm. I was very uncomfortable after I wrote my book where I was like, it was the process of the writing the book and actually getting it done and being able to say I could do it. That was the excitement for me. Once it was out in the world, I was like, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I don't want to read it. Like I was like, yeah, I'm done with that. And people would be like, that's so great. You wrote a book. And I'd be like, Mm, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, last year. Yeah. I know, right? It's like, it's not exciting it's, anymore. Right? Like, I think, yeah. I wonder how much that that idea of, like, never really sitting in our successes is is what contributes to the fact that we have such a low self-regard, <laughs> you know? Like, if we spent a little more time sitting with our successes, maybe mm-hmm. we would actually... Um, view ourselves as successful people, which, because usually we are highly successful people mm-hmm. and, and there's just that incongruency with, with how we view ourselves. And that was actually kind of one of the things that my therapist was, a re- it was a real red flag to her when I first started talking to her was like, how is this woman who has done so many things and seems very bright? Right. How does she talk about herself? Like she's such a failure all the time. And that was, yeah. that was kind of the tip off to her that I had ADHD. Mm. And and so I'm curious. I've never thought about that before. Like if we actually took the time to really just even the couple extra seconds that it requires to acknowledge um, our accomplishments in in some sort of structured way. We always talk about how much we love structure. Um, and, you know, I think that would probably do wonders for our self-esteem. I love that. <laughs> I think I might make like a success board. Like right. Yes. Yeah. I love to done. Board, Are you kidding me? You've got to the done list, which is brilliant. You've got basket case. I mean, come on. You are like <laughs> the queen of puns right here. <laughs> <laughs> I do love them. Well, doesn't it make it, it makes it more like visual and tangible. Like I, you know, making these motions with my hands, but like, I need to be able to like touch it and taste it. And I think with, with puns and alliteration, you just get closer to to reaching those other senses. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I know I love talking to you and um, I yes. loved to some of you had so many great insights. So I think this will be a really um, a very popular episode or be, there's a lot to, to offer the listeners in this one. So thank you so awesome. much. I love what you're doing. Thank you for having me. I love what you're doing too. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at WomenAndADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.